Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together.
And so from that legacy, you get Ephraim, and from Ephraim, you get down the line, Hannah's husband. Now, they lived in a rural, obscure area up in the hill country of what was then known as Ephraim. And so um, they were not known. This was not a big, well, you know, well, well-known family, although it was a well-resourced one. Elkanah is not put down because of him having two wives. Many times in that culture, one, it was allowed, but two, it usually meant that you had resources. You were a person of means at that time, and it is believed what probably happened is because Hannah was mentioned first, Hannah was his wife of choice, his first wife, his love, and and we see it later. Hannah was the one that he wanted, but because she was barren, and we'll see why she was, because she could not have children, it is believed that Elkanah probably went out of fear of not having any heirs and got the second wife, primarily for childbearing. We can't do that today. We have laws that keep us from doing that, and we have culture that does not embrace that. So for us, that seems strange. Oh, your first wife is not doing it? Go get another. We don't really do that today, but, but we have to understand that culture at that time. And, and, and what ends up happening is where the story turns and you begin to see who this woman is. And uh, Elkanah, a very faithful guy, actually, and you see him year after year making the pilgrimage to worship the Lord as he should, as was stated to them. Verse 3 says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And verse 6, and her rival, this is Penina, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so you see here that it started this rivalry and you had this woman, the second woman, the one who was brought in to have children that was purposely trying to and succeeding, irritating the first wife, Hannah. And I'll just say right now, as I read this, I thought with current lens, I thought, I look at Hannah's response, we'll read in a moment, and I thought about what would be the response today of some of our women. I looked at this, and so let me just read it first. It is, um, Hannah would go before the Lord. Hannah would pray vigorously before the Lord. Verse 11 And she vowed and vowed and said, O Lord of hosts, I'm sorry, verse 10, uh, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord, and it's all caps to Yahweh. She prayed to the Lord who makes and keeps his covenants and wept bitterly. And so when she was troubled by this woman, her first response was to go before the Lord, hurt, distressed, upset, 
that she was being ridiculed like this and demoralized like this and was humiliated like this, she ran to the Lord. She ran to the house of the Lord. I like her response because you and I both know there are some sisters here, as my sisters used to say, that I would scratch your eyes out. We knew that there would be some sisters that would not take that kind of ridicule, that it would be on. Someone would be catching hands. And we know that, right? As I read this, I was like, this is not every sister that would respond like Hannah. They would not be running to the house of the Lord. They would have Panina running back to her house. And so I initially looked and said, what kind of woman is this? When distressed, she runs to the Lord first and exclusively. Even when her husband, in his well-meaning way, read the text, said, am I not worth more than 10 sons to you? Dude, go sit down. He goes, am I not enough? And, and, and I can see the response being, you're not my child. And even with that, she goes back before the Lord and she sits in the temple. And so Hannah, if I were to title it, gave herself and her son to the Lord. She gave herself first. She went to God in her pain instead of other things or other people. She was in the house of the Lord, so she went up to the Lord's house. Actually, do you know there is no other Old Testament woman that is referred to in this light as going up to the Lord's house? They may have gone with someone, but for her, she is the only woman in Old Testament Scripture mentioned to have gone up to the house of the Lord herself. And so you see this woman who was highly distressed year after year, had a faithful husband who had moments of insensitivity, but also allowed this other woman in the house to ridicule her. And so here she is faced with her own humiliation year after year after year. How would you respond, sisters? When year after year you are calling on the Lord and he doesn't give you what you desire, she kept finding herself in God's house. Or for us today, it would be she kept finding herself in the presence of the Lord. This is not about coming to church. See, back then they knew the only place you met God was when you went to the temple, is when you went up, the place when the time when you would get close and get near to him. And so for us today is how many times, sister, are you someone who is running to God when people and life distress you? Or are you trying to solve it by your own means? Or are you running to other people that you think can do something about what God's not doing? I say this is what God's not doing is because this whole issue was God-driven. Scripture says the Lord closed her womb. It was God who said no to children at the time knowing that she would be humiliated, knowing that she would be distressed, but also knowing that she would run to him. 
It's a message for someone today. God knows exactly where you are and what's happening in your life. As a matter of fact, it might be God that's behind it. And you say, oh, no, God would never do that. Someone to messed up your theology. Because as I look through scripture, I see God putting not only Hannah, but others in positions of great distress. And he uses that for them to call on him and to demonstrate faithfulness. God uses the fire of trials and temptations to purify you, sister. And so don't think that you're in rare air when you're going through trouble. You are like the sisters of old that God allowed to walk this fiery road knowing how you would respond and wanting you to respond that way. As a matter of fact, she went to God and, and, and her distress was so much, it says in one of the portions where she was praying, so she's praying in her head, Eli was sitting there overseeing the temple because he was supposed to be guarding the integrity of the temple, which is interesting because he lacked integrity himself and his sons, which ended up getting judgment on him. When you look at chapter 3, you see it. Here is this obscure woman coming from up in the hills. Uh, hey, you can, you, can, you can make an argument. Here it is, those backwood hill-type folk coming down to worship, and she has more integrity and is more in tune with God than the guy who was supposed to be overseeing the integrity of the temple. And by the way, who, whose two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were some of the worst. They not only lacked integrity, they were tearing apart the community of God in the way they handled the temple, and they would be judged. And so here she is in there praying so hard. You ever got to that point where you're praying in your head, you don't want people to hear what you're saying. He said that she, her mouth was moving. He said he observed her mouth. One person said, as I was reading more information on this, Eli was so spiritually dull that he lacked perception of people's hearts as he watched their lives and was busy looking at their mouths or outward appearance. But here, he, here she was praying. Her mouth was moving, but there was no sound. We act like that's strange. Come on, you do that all the time. Sometimes you're so stressed out in your mind, you're going, I don't know what she's thinking, but I wish she would stop. And your mouth is moving, but there's no words coming out. You know the words. Asked what it was with her. She was in such distress. She's praying. He could hear words and then not. Hear words and then not. And he's looking at what is going on this woman. And he responds. He said, look, look, look. He didn't ask if she was drunk. He said, you need to stop drinking. Look, put that stuff away that you're drinking. Because obviously you're drunk. And boy, obviously Eli was spiritually dull. Because what was happening instead here was that she wasn't drunk. She says, no, 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 no. <laughs> she knew she was pouring out her soul. She says, no, 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 don't, 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 don't look at me as drunk, sir. And she still kept her integrity. Because there'll be some of you that be praying to the Lord. And this dude would have said something that was out of pocket. And you would have looked up and be like, watch yourself. Would have lost all spiritual vigor you had at the altar. Dealing with this dude, that pastor was just so dull. 
He just didn't know what he was talking about. But no, she responds with integrity and says, I'm not drunk. I am pouring out my soul before the Lord. I love this. So many people and things were either attacking her or misrepresenting her, and yet she still came to the Lord pouring out her soul. See, she understood something. None of those people could do anything about her situation or her life, so why spend time wasting it with them? And there's some of you this morning right now, stop wasting time with people that can't change a thing for you or about you. Go to the one who can and go before the Lord and pour out your soul. After this incident, you don't hear much more about Panina. Yes, she had children. Yes, she had the status and the privilege, but you heard nothing else from her. Oh, but you will hear a lot about Hannah and her influence over time. Here we are talking about her, and Panina is really just a contextual name for what's happening in the story. And so, not only does she trust the very God who caused her humiliation, not only does she go to God in her pain, but she loved God more than her desire for a son. And see, this was critical. And this is where that story does become almost uh, Sarah-like, Abrahamic-like in nature, in that, in, in that when God would answer, what would her response be? Because was her desire more important to her than God? And thus her son more important to her than God? We see that she continued to pour herself out and that she continued praying and that she wanted God to answer. And I would say compared to Eli, look at um, 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 29 as compared to the guy who was watching her and thought that she was drunk. God, in speaking to him, says something really critical to him. He says, why then? This is the Lord pronouncing judgment on the house of Eli. He says to them, why then do, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering, offering of my people Israel? A little context, what was happening is that his sons were scamming the people that came with the sacrifices for worship. They were supposed to give the choicest parts, and they would keep some, but his sons were like, nah, you've given us more. As a matter of fact, we will reject your offering. We're not going to take what you have if you don't do it our way. And so he was scamming the people coming to worship, and Eli was enjoying the results of that, knowing it was wrong. And yeah, he talked to his sons, you know what y'all aren't doing is right as he's eating the fat choices that was done because of their sin and their manipulation. You, 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 you know y'all wrong, right, as he's eating that sandwich. I mean, you know this is not what God wants. But you see here what Hannah 
was going to do. She made a vow God did not require of her. She did it voluntarily. When she came and said to the Lord, look, she finally got to the point and said, if you give me a son, I will hand him right back to you. I will give him in your service forever. In essence, what she does is she pledges a Nazarite vow, which is that vow, if you look in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, it'll give you some of that. It is that vow of dedication. It is that person who would be completely separated for the service of the Lord. And when she mentioned a razor shall not cut his hair, there's someone else who God commanded that be what happens. That was Samson's mom that he told. Because Samson himself was also a Nazarite. And it was that vow of dedication and separation. It is interesting, as I read that, I was reminded that these were examples of people that were dedicated and separated unto the Lord, the vow of the Nazarite. But there would come a Nazarite that would be totally dedicated to his father, Jesus of Nazareth. And we get the picture of God setting this up already. Someone totally dedicated and consecrated to him his whole life. And Hannah, before even having it, set it up. Lord, he will be dedicated. He didn't even have a choice. He was, as some would call, um, call he was voluntold what he was going to do. When that boy came into this world, Lord, he was going to be totally dedicated to you. Because here, because she was totally dedicated to God. We got moms out here today wanting their children to follow after God, and you aren't a bit following him yourself. Before we pray a prayer of dedication for our children, can we have a prayer of dedication for ourselves. And I'm looking at this and I was like, this woman is amazing. She dedicated herself first to God, repeatedly before the Lord, repeatedly laying the foundation for faithfulness, then asked the Lord for a son, then said, I'll give him back to you. And so when it was born, she kept her promise. I know some of us make vows, God, if you get me out of this, I promise I will. And as soon as he does, boy, you'd be like, did I really say that, Lord? I didn't really mean it like that. What I really meant was. See, this woman had in her mind already God is more important than my son. As a matter of fact, it wasn't that Eli didn't love his sons enough that he would put them before God in allowing them to sin. It was that he loved God too little. And that their, his sons became God's. And it resulted in their judgment. Parents, I'll tell you right now for all of us as parents and those that are influencing people that you cannot put those that have been entrusted to you before God 
with you because it will destroy them. Period. In some way, it will destroy them. God will not have any God in his place. And so when you put children in his place and you dishonor God, wanting to honor them, you put yourself in a dangerous position. And so she loved God more than she loved her son. And she was an example of faithfulness, and her son became Samuel was born. And when Samuel was born and, and, and she made the promise, she said to her husband, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going up to worship because she said because when he's weaned because she was nursing the son when he's weaned somewhere between two and three years old I will bring him up and he will never come back home in other words he belongs to God so let me make that plain for us today this is not saying that the only way that we honor God with our kids is to bring them up to the church and leave them here please keep your kids now what he's saying, what this says for us today is that she found of utmost critical importance that her kids were raised in a way that they would be dedicated to God and he led what they would do. He was the one that would be um, he would be the one that drove how she responded to them, mother. So it would be something like this. I remember, and I might have said this to you guys before, I remember asking my mother one day when I was, you know, I'm older, I'm an adult now, and, and, and I'm in ministry, and I, we were having a conversation. I said, Mom, what did you always want me to do? And um, she was like, you know, and, and she was kind of annoyed because she was like, boy, please. I said, no, mom, really? I said, what is it that you wanted me to do? She said, it didn't really matter. I said, so I wasn't going to quit being who I am. Mom, I said, come on. I said, just humor me. What is it that you wanted? Any desire for a career? She looked at me. She said, look, I didn't, it didn't matter to me what you did. As long as two things were happening. I was like, okay, cool. I'm getting an answer out of it. What was the first one? She said, one, that you were walking with God faithfully and had a strong relationship with him. And I remember saying to myself, being immature in my faith, and now I understand. I actually let these words come out of my mouth. I said, that's it? <laughs> I did. I said, that's it? And I know now I'm like, according to Hannah, yeah. That was it. But she said the second thing that you, that you were in a job, and she said it didn't really matter that you were in a job that would support you, that you didn't have to come back here, classic mom, and that the police weren't chasing you. <laughs> I grew up in New York City. Those were two important things. And that rounded everything. I like. She said, number one, God had your heart. Because if he has your heart, it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to do it as unto the Lord, and you're going to do it with integrity, unlike Eli and his sons, who were in the ministry, but they were abusing that thing for everything they could get from it. But then I pushed her enough, and it was funny. Where's uh, Brother McManus? Is he here? Yeah, there you go. Hey, um, then I said, but mom, tell me, you had to have something that you thought I would do. And she was like, like, this boy's not going to leave me alone. 
She says, I thought you would be a good pharmacist. <laughs> I was like, really? You know, I looked at her kind of cross-eyed. She was like, you asked. You know, but here's the deal. For Hannah, the utmost critical thing for her is that her son was completely dedicated to the Lord. Godly mother of influence, it is of utmost importance. For some of us moms, you, you just want that career to hit off, and that is of utmost importance. You want that education to hit off, and that is of utmost importance. Oh, it is of importance. Kids, this is not for you to go back. See, mom, pastor said the education was, but no, I did not. Y'all ain't getting me in trouble. Of utmost importance, of ultimate first place in the life was that you were dedicated completely to God and then everything else afterwards. Because I'm not worried about everything else afterwards then. And so we get things like verse 11 in chapter 2. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Here he is as a little boy ministering to the Lord. And I want to give you a comparison. Drop down to verse 12, because this happens twice. Verse 12, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. You had a boy dedicating himself and ministering to the Lord, and you had men who had grown up worthless and were now worthless before the Lord. Look at the comparison. What's the difference? A godly mother of influence. Then turn to verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod cloth that he had on that was meant for worshiping. Go back earlier to verse 17. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with content. Those were Eli's two sons. You get again the comparison. You had men who had been boys allowed to live ungodly and continuing to practice ungodly ways, which actually would cost them their lives. You read down and you had a boy who was dedicating himself to the Lord who would be one of the most renowned prophets that existed in the nation of Israel and would be responsible for anointing and dedicated both Saul King who failed and David and would change the scope of the nation. So here this woman really was responsible. God used her in bringing about the one who he would use to bring integrity back to the nation, justice back to the nation, following God back to the nation. Samuel would be amazing before God, but he started with an example of a woman who was amazing before God. And I'm going, please don't think your obscure position, your obscure role, I don't do a whole lot, I'm not all that. Please don't think that that, that, that is something that the Lord counts as little. We see it here as large. She gave herself to the Lord repeatedly so she could give her son to the Lord forever. But here... Many of us may not even know, chapter 2, verse 21, indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. 
She had five more children after that. But boy, you best believe that house was going to be strong because here she was already dedicating her life to the Lord, living as an example before the Lord. And those other five were going to get a great example. Those other five are going to get a great example of who God is. And compare that to Panina. You heard about her in the beginning, and that was it. Yeah, you had children. Yeah, you had status. And God said nothing of you except you were a troublemaker. And understand what kind of home she would raise those kids in. I wonder if they became troublemakers. I wonder if they acted like their mom. And then the last two, I mentioned actually quickly because there's not a lot said, but it is a lot said about them. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And when Paul was encouraging Timothy to continue strong in the faith, Chapter 1, verses, I'm, I'm sorry, I said chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, excuse me. God begins, I mean, Paul begins to talk about him. I'm back up to verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you, he's talking to Timothy, constantly in my prayers day and night. <clears throat> as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. And then verse 5 is key. I am <clears throat> excuse me, I am reminded of your sincere faith. He was like, Timothy, you've got a strong, a genuine faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Turn with me to chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. He's continuing to lean in about Timothy being prepared and preaching the word and staying true to God. Verse 14, he says, uh, but as for you, talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And he's getting ready to talk about whom he's learned it from and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, where Hannah believed and demonstrated faithfulness in her whole life and dedicating herself first to the Lord, and thus she can dedicate her life. Both Lois and Eunice believed that sincere faith needed to be demonstrated to her, I mean, to their children, Lois to Eunice, Eunice to Timothy, and that the Word of God was critical for them learning uh, about that sincere faith. And so we see here both of these women, they were both one, mothers who believed a sincere faith was critical for their children. They're only mentioned in Scripture once by name. And in that time, both grandma and mom were women who lived sincere faith that people could see. Both of them. Grandmama, what are you known for? See, I get to spoil them kids and send them home. What are you known for? 
I get to do all sorts of things, but what are you known for, Grandma? See, I look at my grandmother, both of them. I praise God for what God has given me in both of them. Annie Mae Keenan, boy, that's a good Southern name, isn't it? Annie Mae Keenan, known godly woman. I remember at her funeral, everyone was in amazement because back then in the small country towns, you would meet at the house with the, um, with the hearse and all, and you would drive a procession through the town to the church. Well, they had to have an escort because Miss Annie Mae, as they called her, had a procession over a mile long because of her faithfulness and her godliness and could not fit everyone in that church. And it wasn't a small one. And Annie Mae's daughter, Carrie Lee, my mother, walked with God and served faithfully. And at her funeral in a church that sat hundreds, had people standing outside just wanting to hear and listen because they all would say the godly, not perfect, the godly example that was lived. And I thought about that, and I was like, Lord, you, you, you gave me Lois and Eunice in my life that I could see, and, and, and just in case I thought that wasn't enough on my dad's side, Miss Myrtle Costin, who lived to be 103, the last time I saw her, was she was laying in her bed a month before she would pass in her right mind and looked at me and grabbed my hand firmly and said these two phrases. She said, son, because as she would say to me, she said, son, my house is in order and I'm ready to go. faithfulness. See, if I lived ungodly, y'all need to slap me upside the head and say, you've got no reason living like this. Because I've had every example before me of godliness. And it's not just reserved for those women. There are many Loises and Eunices out here that have displayed a sincere faith and have passed it on to their child, and that child displays a sincere faith to their child, and you have no idea what God and who God is developing, whether it's a Timothy or a Samuel-like or a you name it, you have no, or a Deborah, or you, look, you, you don't know who God is raising up through you. It may not be in that first generation, but it's probably coming. Because faithfulness breeds influence for God. And that influence lasts for generations. And so here's some questions. First of all, mothers who believed a sincere faith was critical. Let me just say the last two. These two were mothers who believed the scriptures were what would develop that faith. They didn't get into all it. They believed in the word of God. And then lastly, mothers that would change and benefit many through their faithfulness. That was Lois and Eunice. Let me make this statement first. Godly mothers are first faithful to God before all else. So let me ask you, how are you giving yourself to God? How are you giving yourself to God? 
What example is it setting for your children, present or to come? How is the way you are giving yourself to God setting an example? Are you trusting in God, although he may be allowing or he may be the cause of your current situation that may be distressing for you? Are you, still, are you going to the one who has allowed what is happening to you? And then this, are you raising or have you raised your children or those under your influence to minister to the Lord. Samuel was raised to minister to the Lord, not serve himself. Now, you would say, what if I didn't do that? Boy, the grace of God in Christ comes through greatly. Why? Because it causes us to be able to be, if you're still alive, you can still demonstrate sincere faith. You can still lead people toward God. You can still let them know and see how important and how critical Christ is. And if they are wayward, if they still not listen, you still go before them with the Lord because they may be living differently, but it's not because of you. Is because of their choice. How critical to you is demonstrating a sincere faith to your children or others? How critical to you is demonstrating a sincere faith to your children or others? And then lastly, what importance have you or are you placing on the communication of Scripture to your children or grandchildren. Because that's what's going to develop. That's what's going to give them that, tell them of that salvation that will save their souls. See, look, we can be, we can want and, and desire a lot for our children. We can, a lot, moms. And those are good things. Don't stop desiring them. You want them to have good and faithful spouses. Keep praying for that. You want them to have profitable and good jobs. Keep praying for that. You want them to get as much education as they can and to prepare themselves for adulthood down the line. Keep praying that. But all those things are secondary toward your prayer for them walking in Christ in a way that honors God where they know you put God before them. And don't be like Eli, where he put them before God, and it cost his boys and his whole family. Look at the judgment placed on Eli at the end of chapter 2. Read it. It was sobering to me. I sat and I prayed afterwards. I said, God, let that never be me. He had allowed them to linger in this sin for so long, God says, no one in your family will grow old from you on. He said, after you, no one will grow old. What? What God was saying is all of your offspring and their offspring and will all die young because you put them before me. I'm God. I was like, you weren't playing. I was like, oh my goodness. It was sobering. But that's what happens when you put kids before God. You shorten their lives. 
you mess it up. Why? Because they don't get a good picture of who God is, and thus they don't honor God properly. Or if they choose to, it's not because of you. My mother used to say, boy, look, you can go ahead and do whatever you want, but know that you didn't learn it here. That's she would tell me. You know you didn't learn that here. Or if I would do something, when I went away to college the first time, it was a total disaster. Total disaster. First one to go away to college, and I was like, I was the worst example. Disaster. Came back and went to JC back at home, junior college, and then went out and did it again and then succeeded. But she would say to me, that stuff that you were doing when you first went away to college, you didn't learn that here. And she said, you didn't, learn, you didn't learn that here. And she was right. But that was my choice. And there were days that I knew I wasn't living right. And I said, boy, I didn't, I didn't see this. As a matter of fact, I'm going to end with this. One of my roommates, man, one of my roommates came home with me one, one time and met my mother. And I think I shared this with you guys a long time ago. When we, no, we were right there in front of my mom. And I wanted to knock him out. He turns to me after listening to my mom, and she's just going, I mean, she's hurt. And so he can tell she was godly. He was a guy who went to church, but he was like me. Neither one of us were faithfully walking with the Lord at the time. And he turns to me. He said, dude, what happened to you? I was like, bro, in front of my mom? And then he said, later, man, your, your, your mom is cool. She's godly. He was like, dude, what happened to you? I chose to live differently from what I learned until the Lord hemmed me up. And I knew how I needed to live. And I had every example. Listen, we've gone long. Listen, listen. Mothers, today, be encouraged. Please, just stay faithful. Even if you don't see it now, it'll happen. Because God honors faithfulness. And faithfulness breeds influence. And influence goes on for generations. Kids right now, as you grow up, understand, be people of influence. So when and if God gives you children, it would be the same thing because influence, faithfulness breeds influence and influence lasts for generations. And you're not groaning and moaning when it's time to leave this earth. You are like my grandmother. She had no regrets. Boy, I, I, and her grip was strong, too. And when she said I was ready to go in my mind, I was like, I hope not right now. I did. I actually said it because my brother was with me. I was like, I hope not right now. And a month later, in her sleep, in her sleep, the Lord took her. And I said, there goes faithfulness right there. That you could say at the end, I'm ready. As opposed to, wait, 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 Lord, no, wait. Mm. Let's be people of influence. Because we are faithful people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that today we honor you because you are the one who has given us godly mothers, godly women, godly people of faithfulness and influence in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be people of faithfulness and influence that will last for generations. I pray that we would not be like Eli, Lord. Oh, God, who benefited from the sin of his sons. And, oh, God, aided in them being destroyed. 
I just pray, God, that you would help us to carry on firmly and strongly. Loving you, God, knowing that you are the most critical for our lives, in our lives, and of our lives. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.